Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Hello, hello, today we are talking about the Avengers Endgame title because of Kevin Feige. On top of that, big changes on Rotten Tomatoes. We're going to dive into that. And then a brand new Detective Pikachu trailer. Yeah, I don't think I could love this movie any more than I am at this point. And it is one of the biggest surprises ever. Super psyched to talk about that with the one and only Jeff Snyder. And my Hawaii buddy, it's Koi. Koi has returned. I dressed for the occasion. I just got off the flight. I am so tired but very well i'm in a captain america hawaiian shirt i'm so jealous quite i'd like to be perry's hawaii buddy it was a we had a journey we, we did and we got to visit uh where they shot jurassic park which was one of the major highlights of the trip <laughs> we we took i mean we must have taken dozens of photos with what is essentially a dead log but it's fine the dead log was definitely like groot level important to me it was a really funny experience to have us both have this insane thing over a prop and the rest of the bus had already boarded and we were still like yelling quotes and cheering and we were it was great. Yeah. Life finds a way. Life did find a way. Always does. All right. First story today is our main topic. And it is all about the Avengers 4, tra- tra- 4 trailer, the 4 title, which we now know is Avengers Endgame. So when that title first hit the web, a whole bunch of us were like, all right, what were we waiting for? So our own Steve Frosty Weintraub actually asked that question to Kevin Feige at the Captain Marvel junket. And here is what Feige told him. Well, I think I'd said that it had all gotten blown out of proportion to some extent, but it was a spoiler because if you knew before Infinity War came out that the next movie was called Endgame, then you know that there wasn't an ending to Infinity War, but that had been the title of the movie from the moment we conceived of doing the two films, in large part because it's seated right there. I mean, it's seated in Ultron. All right, Koi, that's an explanation, <laughs> but... 
Is the title really a spoiler, even after all that? It's a it's a stretch to say it's a spoiler to me. I get what he's saying, that it proves that Infinity War is a part one, part two film. And they went so far out of their way to be like, it's not a part one, part two. And then we finished the movie and we're like, all right, well, this is a part one, part two. So having Endgame, if that was public knowledge, that would have revealed a bit more than I think he wanted. And I do agree that it did get blown out of proportion. It wasn't them going like, you're not even ready for what the title is. But by the time it got around, they kind of had to say that because we were all waiting to know what the title was. So I feel like they were in a rock and a hard place because they were trying to not give a single spoiler, but then the internet loves to talk about things, so it got blown out of proportion. And I also forgive Kevin Feige for anything because he's giving me so much happiness. <laughs> oh, that's a really good way to look at that's it. That's the button on that tale. I, I still don't think it's all that much of a spoiler, especially because we had the whole Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2 thing before this. I kind of knew they were going hand in hand. So when they first announced that title, I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> What's next? That's pretty. But there were other variations that people were predicting that I think would have been in uh, bigger spoilers, like when everyone was talking about new Avengers and things like that. That feels like even more of a spoiler to me than Endgame, even though Endgame hints at some finality. And we know, but what's interesting to me is he talks about the finality being the problem, but we know the next one's final. Like, I think that even moms in Idaho that now who Thanos is, like, people, I love, my grandma called and asked me to explain Thanos. That means that everyone knows who Thanos is. I think even those folks knew that the next movie was the end. I think they're all aware that 22 movies is the way they're wrapping it up. So Endgame to me is not that big of a spoiler because I I can't remove myself because we talk about this all the time, but to me it seems like everyone's kind of aware it is the end game. And if it was New Avengers, if it was Infinity Crusade, if it was Annihilation, if it was any of those things, that feels way bigger. So by the time the title came out, I was like, ah, that that line that was said, here we we go. All right, Jeff, what do you make of this? Is it any (laughs) more than just a way to kind of build buzz for a release? Uh, I guess, yeah, it pretty much is that. I mean, things getting blown out of proportion to some extent on the internet. I don't know what you're talking about there, Kevin. Uh, but, but I do love this quote. Like, if you had known, if you had known before Infinity War came out, the next movie was called Endgame, you know there wasn't an ending to Infinity War. It's like, man, if we had told you what we were actually doing, you'd know that Infinity War was half of a movie. Uh, listen, titles are, they're supremely important, but they're also overrated. Like, do I care whether the movie's called Lee? or the professional does it affect what i think of that movie no it doesn't um so i just all the the speculate like the star wars titles i can see as like these are really like important things but marvel you know what you're getting it's not like the title really changes things anyways bringing up uh, the professional it's almost like the title feels a little more important as a marketing tool beforehand to kind of set the tone and set the stage but then after the fact once you either get a good movie or you don't yeah. What's the difference? And I feel like this could have been an opportunity for the title to be important. Like Captain America Civil War. When they when they changed the thing from Serpent Society to Civil War at that big event they had down at El Cap, we all were, comic fans were like, I know so much about this movie with just the title. So right. those two words gave us a lot. But in this case, Endgame isn't a comic yeah, It's just arc. the, the it's, end. Yeah, it's, it's like saying, like, blah, 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 the last one. We're like, tight. Like, it doesn't really give us a thing that's from a comic storyline. Annihilation would have. New Avengers mm. would have. And none of those things land on this button, so it almost feels like they should have just given it to us earlier so we wouldn't have these conversations of and is it really the end game i mean we're getting a black widow movie we're getting guardians of the galaxy volume volume three eventually you know once they find a director you know those characters that are in Endgame, they're going to see their stories continue so uh... i do hope that the title Endgame rings true to a degree though like where we feel even though you know black widow and whoever else is still in play we feel kind of like a seismic shift that we are entering and again i don't know if they're using the word phases anymore but that we are entering 
entering a new phase of the MCU. Because if it does feel exactly the same as everything we've got before, then that's when you start to, uh, you know, fears of it losing steam and getting repetitive bubble up. But I would say the MCU shows no signs of doing that thus far. I don't feel like the MCU is going to stop, but I do think that Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, certain Avengers maybe leaving or dying will be a definitive end to a thing, whether it's a phase or if it's a chapter. And I love that they, they've talked about how they're not going to reveal the slate until after Spider-Man. Yes. I love that we're in a position of, I personally don't like, a lot of comic fans love when they're like, here's the next 17 movies. Good luck, nerds. For me, I'd rather know one movie at a time. I'd rather be surprised. I'd rather not have the anticipation because anticipation makes it really hard to live up to. So if you know something four years ahead and you move it, like DC, when they kept announcing their slates and then they're like, the Flash movie coming real, real soon. And we're all like, maybe you shouldn't have told us that. Like, right. wait until you got a date. Yeah. So I'd rather them not give us that. And I think that when and if we lose those three heroes, it will feel like an end. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. And we've also seen the, the whole cart before the horse thing blow up in the studio's face one too many times, whether we're talking about superhero movies or beyond. So I'm glad they're not doing that as well. We have another semi-MCU related story. It's kind of tied to the reaction to Captain Marvel and the fact that a whole bunch of people went on Captain Marvel's Rotten Tomatoes page. And in a sense, they kind of spammed it without having seen the movie. They wrote all these negative comments about it. And now today we get this announcement from Rotten Tomatoes that they're rolling out a new initiative and it's aimed at elevating the voice of fans and increasing data relevance. But one of the biggest changes here is clearly tied to the whole Captain Marvel thing. And it is changing the way they operate their audience system, the audience voting system. So today they announced that one of one of the new things they're doing, at least, is removing the option for fans to leave comments or reviews on a movie before its release. It, it kind of seems like a no-brainer to me, but I'm also trying to, you know, I'm, I'm attempting to picture the flip side of it. Someone wanting to react and voice either excitement or the lack thereof of a movie before it comes out. But given the fact that, you know, toxicity in that comment section has kind of spiraled out of control, I think this needed to be happened. This needed to happen and i think this was probably the best possible move for them to make so coy given what has happened recently and also with other films in i would say the past two years is when this problem started to crop up consistently is taking this feature this specific feature away the way to combat it best to me this seems impossibly fair press is embargoed everyone is embargoed why would you not have that for the largest site of of movie just flash perspective people use rotten tomatoes scores as litmus test for whether or not they're going to see a movie so why wouldn't you have that barometer for the everyday civilian like we're told we can't say things why would a fan that has or hasn't seen something be able to say something like it's very specific and and the anonymity of the internet makes it really hard because like jed bob 674 can write whatever he wants to and then we say it online and we're accountable because we're on video people know us people know our twitters those blue check marks they count for something whereas the the fan side it's great to build up hype it's great to build up awareness all of those things but there's no way to prove they saw the movie whether you love a movie or hate it, it's not fair to be speaking on it if you haven't seen it. And I think Captain Marvel's really coming to a head because there's been so much toxicity around this fandom in particular. And, you know, the, the nerd fandoms, like the Star Wars fandoms and, and certain things, there's an animosity towards the other side that isn't always warranted. And taking it out on a movie, especially if you haven't seen it, isn't fair. And this negates that ever being an option, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. once the movie drops, have the critics' reviews pop up, have the fan reviews pop up. So it's a universal, like, flash of this is the information. It's all been vetted to a point as much as you can and and now we've got a fairer system 
All right. That's a tough act to follow. Yeah, I, thought, I thought Coy yeah. just nailed it. He was very eloquent about the whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that Rotten Tomatoes really had no choice. They had to do something. They're partners with the studios, and I'm sure I can imagine that Disney mm-hmm. or Marvel were complaining because people go on Rotten Tomatoes, as you said, to buy tickets to sort of gauge whether they should see a movie, and it's not fair to have this like low score discouraging people that isn't even a valid score because yeah. other people don't know that. They don't know that the page is being trolled, uh, you know, by by these horrible people who did the same thing to Ghostbusters, and it seems like it cost that movie, too, at the box office. So I'm glad that Rotten Tomatoes is doing this. I just think that the public needs to re-educate itself to an extent where they're not even going to Rotten Tomatoes to, to look at that stuff. Find a critic. Find someone yes. who, who you trust. Uh, you know, you trust their taste and, and grow with them. Um, because I, I don't like boiling it down to a, a score either. And if I did... I prefer Metacritic to Rotten Tomatoes. I, I don't like boiling it down to a score either, but it seems like a losing battle there with, you know, the population at large. And, and I totally understand why, because if you are maybe thinking about spending money on going to see a movie right this second and you need just the quickest reasoning to decide between, let's say, two of them, seeing that score is super helpful. It's just more so than anything, I just I, I encourage people to look at the fact that that score is one thing, but when you look at the average score for mm-hmm. all of the critics, that is a much more valuable thing because you could have a movie at, let's say, a 99% where everybody said it was just a 6 out of 10, but you're <laughs> looking at that 99, maybe thinking it's a masterpiece. So looking at the average, I think, is super helpful. Critic scores are one thing, but user scores to me are, are semi-useless. I mean, you go on IMDb and these user scores have like the most ridiculous movies as the top-ranked movies of all time. So I just don't know why people do this, number one, and why people put faith in or stock in user ratings. Like- well, I'll say from a box office perspective, I do. I, I like to look at user ratings and kind of gauge the temperature. And I'm not saying my box office predictions are strictly reliant on user ratings on these sites, but it's a combination of the buzz on Twitter, the tracking numbers, the current sales on Fandango. It is all like pieces to a really big puzzle and I think within probably the last two years in that respect the user rating has become less and less useful for me because certain movies are being unfairly targeted I think this is a really good opportunity to kind of curb the toxic fandom even a little bit I, I, I yes. really want to speak to one of them in particular it's all of them there's an aggression on the internet that, that will not stand man like well, I don't know why we're taking things in this direction and I don't know why we need to be aggressive about things that are art art is subjective and we're literally attacking things and we're using a black and white scale for something that's literally colors so it doesn't make sense for me to attack something so flagrantly and this at least gives the art an opportunity to shine for itself and that's what rotten tomatoes is supposed to represent art shining for itself so i agree find your critic find the person that you believe in if someone has like-minded opinions with you you're most likely going to want their take not the universe's take i love movies that are critically panned all the time i think rango is one of the best animated films hard stop ever i defend swat all the time yeah swat i think king arthur one of the best movies of the last five years. I'm that guy. But my opinion is so weird and different from everyone else's. I hope there are others like me. And when I find them, I will listen. But I'm not going to listen to people that thought like X, Y, and Z was the best thing since sliced bread if I didn't. So it's it's shades of gray. It's lots of colors. Don't believe everything. And if you have the money, see it if you can. If not, $5 Tuesdays. But see these films. They're very important. Vote with your wallets. There's nothing less reliable to me than Twitter buzz. So. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
No, I, I, I don't. I don't even believe you guys. Sorry. Like, <laughs> you guys will go see Captain good. Marvel, and I'll be like, Yeah, yeah, I've well, heard that a zillion times before. All right. I'll make up my own mind. I can't vouch for every single tweet that comes out of a first screening quite like that. But I mean, for for what it's worth, I would never say anything in any of those tweets that I couldn't stand by on a subsequent viewing and in a full review ever. But that, that's an integrity that's very unique. You know what I mean? Like, I like to stand by that. And I like to, I, when I put something in writing, I know it's in writing. And I consider Twitter in writing. A twi- that's the same as a Absolutely. quill. You know what I mean? It's done. It's forever. So to me, that's the way I do it. But there's also people like, do you guys know Ben Meckler? He's hilarious. Ben, ben, uh, mm-hmm. Ben's a great writer. He sneaks in lines of absurd dialogue yeah, into yeah. his reviews. And they make it to press. Because that's how little <laughs> people actually read the review. So there's no system that's going to work completely. But at least having a system that can quiet the aggression is a start. Well, it's almost like there shouldn't be a system that works completely because art is subjective and as you just said, we all have varying tastes. So the fact that there's so many people coming at it from different perspectives and having unique conversations about each of these things, there shouldn't be a black and white system that will always guarantee that if you follow this specific mm-hmm. thing, you are going to get a movie that is precisely to your taste. It It is kind of like it's an exciting, creative crapshoot and that's yeah. what I love about this industry. And isn't that why we exist? Like, we get to talk about the things we enjoy, we get to talk about about the things that we're about and then you the viewer that agree with us most of the time we give you our subjective and trying to be objective take on the thing that's what the internet's for it's sharing information and opinion and enlightening others so find a person you believe in and believe in them not in the masses and like the the narrower channels are i think the way to go or find a collective like Collider where you get all these wonderful opinions. Oh, my God. Who knows? <laughs> a diverse array. Shame, shameless plug right there. All right. We are moving on to story number three, one that excites me quite a bit. So we've got a new Candyman movie in the works. And this new take on the classic character, of course, comes from executive producer Jordan Peele. The aim with this movie is to create a spiritual sequel to the current three film franchise and bring it into the 21st century. Variety is now reporting that Yahya Abdul-Mateen II is in for Candyman. Of course, we know him now from Aquaman, and he's going to follow in the footsteps of Tony Todd playing a vengeful spirit with a hook for a hand who could be summoned by saying his name in a mirror. The plan with this, as it stands for right now at least, is uh, to return to the original Chicago neighborhood where the Candyman's ashes were scattered in the late 19th century. So, Jeff, after the huge huge success of Aquaman. Do you think that this is the right role for him to take on next, especially because he's got us coming up and then on top of that, the Watchmen TV series? Uh, yeah, I think this is a great role for him. I loved everything about this announcement today. Uh, he's he's a really good actor, and this, I mean, it, now he gets to play the title character. He wasn't the title character in Aquaman. In fact, I didn't really think he was that great in Aquaman. I thought he was kind of underserved uh, by that role, which was kind of underwritten. Um, I know that he's capable of a lot more. I like his physicality. He's kind of an imposing figure. Uh, Yaya is six foot three, not quite as big as Tony Tan, who is six foot five actually. Um, but yeah, I, I just—he's got that deep voice too that I expect from Candyman. I think he's going to uh, work really well, particularly uh, opposite Lakeith Stanfield. If, if Lakeith's uh, deal closes, uh, we've heard that he was going to sort of play the, the fill-in for the Virginia Madsen character. Um, yeah, um, so I, I like everything about it. I would just say that I think that he does need to maybe after this one because this is you know there's this and us and Watchmen. He could stand to do a prestige drama. You know, I would try to get into business with someone like like Barry Jenkins or try to make your Beale Street Moonlight whatever it is because I, I think that this we could see this guy at the Oscars one day. But 
he's been doing a lot mm-hmm. of commercial projects. That's fine to build your brand and establish your name. But I'd like to see him challenge himself uh, after this. Well, sometimes that's the beauty of building your brand through these big blockbuster projects first is then you could actually take your time and isolate that one that could go all the way right. at the Oscars. And the fact that he seems to be doing hopefully something like that by amassing all these projects is very encouraging. And I was so thrilled when I saw this casting today. I think Candyman is one of those iconic slasher movies that really could use for a remake. And I think that those who don't really know the mythology behind it don't realize how how rich it is. It is so much more than, let's say, and you guys know I love slasher, so I'm not putting them down at all. (laughs) But someone running around with a knife and a mask, there's a lot more to it. And there's a lot for him to really dig into. But I would say the question now is, with them calling it maybe not a straightforward sequel, but a spiritual sequel, Coy, do you think he should try to do his own? thing here or maybe do his own thing but also focus on basically capturing what tony todd started there's a reason tony todd's iconic tony todd is one of the 80s images you have when you look at these movies this entire genre his voice you can hear it without even hearing it tony todd is so much but because of that i don't think he should try to do a tony todd i think he should make this his own i think that i I agree with what you're saying about aquaman he's a presence that you wanted more of you wanted to learn more about that just every time he was on screen i was like more please and that is a great actor when you're wanting more and not like cuts back to the other guy so i think he should take this his own way i think Candyman is a rich enough mythology that he can play it in his own take i think anytime you try to impersonate or even like live up to the legacy of a character that you kind of shoot yourself in the foot the whole point of being an actor is to embrace the role as you see it written you're not trying to play someone else and yes it's like a a younger older dynamic so i think it being a spiritual sequel they can do what i love when movies like i defend scream 4 i love the meta awareness of things i think that when they did the friday the 13th spoiler for a movie from 10 years ago when they did the friday the 13th reboot and they had the first 10 minutes be an entire jason movie and then the credits rolled and you were like I love when they play with the mythology that way. So if Candyman can do anything like that where they surprise us but live in the mythology, we'll be in great hands. And I think with this casting, and I didn't know about Lakeith, we're in incredible hands because these are two actors that I love to see grow. And with his trifecta, like, go his agent because, yes, excellent work. Yeah, maybe it's slipping my mind, but is the Lakeith Stanfield thing something new? No. Was that no, announced no, no. a while back? Yeah, uh, Seems like a I, I, uh, wonderful pairing yeah, here. I, I sort of put that out there on Collider a couple of weeks ago. We, there's yeah. an actual article. Um, that, that, yeah. I feel um, like that was probably while I was away. Otherwise, I would yeah, have flagged it. Pro- it probably was. But I, I do want to see uh, Yaya sort of put his own spin on the character. You know, the original Candyman was kind of very dour, and I'd like to sort of imbue him with a little bit more personality, mm-hmm. if you will. I want him to have a little bit more fun with it, because Jordan Peele, you know, based on Get Out at least, he is going to sort of find the socio-political, you know, meat to this story. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's already hype for a movie like this, especially mm-hmm. when it's it's coming from such a, an iconic franchise here. We are also going to have Us coming up soon, the, his Twilight Zone series, which just dropped, uh, in my opinion, a phenomenal trailer. So I think the buzz is only going to continue Jordan to Jordan Peele is one thing. of the hottest producers in Hollywood. I mean, he's coming mm-hmm. off the, the, the nomination for Black Klansman as well. Uh, and I just, I, you know, I think it bodes well for us also that, that Jordan is recruiting uh, from his cast in that film. Absolutely. Random fun fact that I noticed the other day, too, is uh, someone had pointed out, you've seen Short Term 12, right? Mm -hmm. How many fantastic actors, it's just because I'm thinking about the Oscars, with with Rami having just won an Oscar, Mm -hmm. Brie Larson won an Oscar, and we have, yeah, I... 
I really believe that. I really do. I think he is something special. The I, moment I he showed up in Atlanta. Like, I, it, every moment of Lakeith on screen in movie or TV, I want more, and I want him in everything. I want to see him in, I want to see him in a rom-com. Like, he's one of the few actors where it doesn't matter the genre. I am I there. I think you will see him in a rom-com in uh, Someone Great uh, or Something Great with a Gina yeah, Rodriguez I Netflix movie. I knew that movie. sounded familiar to yeah, me. Uh, Gina Rodriguez has a Netflix movie coming out, and I'm pretty sure he's the, the romantic. Exciting yes. projects all around. I love the sound of that. All right, next up, we've got a trailer story for you, and it's because Warner Brothers released a new trailer for Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Rob Letterman is directing this adaptation, which sees Justice Smith playing a character named Tim. He's the son of a famous private eye who's gone missing. He teams up with Pikachu, of course, voiced by Ryan Reynolds, to track down his father, and adorable misadventures ensue. This one's opening up on May 10th. So, Koi, first off, one, are you a Pokemon fan? And two, has the marketing campaign for this movie done it for you? Red, blue, yellow, the first 151. <laughs> yes, I, I am a Pokemon trainer of the old age. I love the original 151, and this, to me, reflects that era beautifully. There's a few Pokemon I don't recognize because I really did stop paying attention at 151, but the moment in the trailer that Mewtwo rises up and he does the same pose from the animated movie, I was like 12 years old. I was a kid on his Game Boy Color with the light over it because they didn't used to emit light. You had to light them because oh, of the I Dark Ages. Oh, I had one of those, too. That was the era. That was the Pokemon. <laughs> So to see that time reflected amazingly with CGI that actually works, to hear Ryan Reynolds killing it, to see photorealistic Bulbasaur, like Charizard was the hardest card to find. I finally got one. It cost me like $110, which in kid money is like thousands. It was insane when I got that Charizard, and he looks worthy of that dedication and the lawns I mowed and the hours I delivered newspapers. Thank you, society. I am so curious, Jeff, with all of these <laughs> these facial reactions that the audience has not gotten to see at all. <laughs> How you feeling right now? I don't. I don't know what the one fifty one is. I don't know what this expensive card that you were buying as a child. I mean, uh, anyways, um, I'm mixed on it. This is not my kind of movie, but it is. It is. Uh, it, it's. It's hard to say this movie does not look cute. It looks super cute, and I think Ryan Reynolds is really the perfect guy to have voiced Detective Pikachu. I can't imagine that this movie would be as good or as fun with anyone else voicing that character. He mm-hmm. was just perfect casting for it and even though you guys know i'm on record i don't see a lot of animated movies or kids children's movies etc i think i'd i would check this out this looks like a lot of fun that's so encouraging i'm happy to hear you fall on the positive side of this one because yeah, i don't have that high expectations or anything but it, it would be worth my two hours based on what i've seen from the marketing campaign which has been very clever and i think that it has gone out of its way to try to convince people like me skeptics yeah. doubters people who are on the fence who don't have kids and aren't like definitely seeing this movie it's going to do gangbusters. Oh, absolutely. Office. I was a little into Pokemon. I used to play the Game Boy game all the time. I like Pokemon Go. I would put the show on every once in a while. I was never like super into the lore where I knew everything. So when they first announced this movie, I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll see it. Fine. That first trailer dropped and it quickly became one of my most anticipated movies of 2019. And I think it's because it gets at the the charm of what Pokemon is. Catch them all. These cute little like almost pet-like creatures that you get to have by your side. And seeing them all in a live action you know, animated form really just like charmed me to no end. And I love that Ryan Reynolds isn't going, not necessarily that this is going to be rated PG or whatnot, but he's not 
completely toning his sense of humor down because what does he say at one point in the trailer when I think they're in like an arena? Does he does Pikachu call someone a putz or something? Yeah, there's definitely a flavor of aggression. Yeah, which is, the, the snarky, sardonic sensibility. I was surprised is when really that word there. came out of his mouth, though. And I think that it's smart to use like to get the audience that wouldn't necessarily see to cast someone like Ryan Reynolds because he brings a market that is completely separate from Pokemon, but not mutually exclusive. Like the Venn diagram of Ryan Reynolds and Pokemon is great because you're going to mm-hmm. get both sides. You're going to get a lot of different people you wouldn't necessarily. But I like that even the ad campaign is still Ryan Reynolds. Have you seen the ad with him and Blake Lively? I haven't seen that. There's one. an ad where he talks about like leaving his children at school because he's method when he plays Pikachu and Pikachu right. doesn't have kids. Okay. And Blake Lively like pops up. And this is a super snarky, self-aware ad for a Pokemon movie. That would right. only happen with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at when, when, in terms of like uh, the studio sort of trying to court you know an, a little bit of an older audience. I'll just say that any trailer that uses Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero has my vote. <laughs> that, that just conjures memories, for me at least, of John Candy's uh, classic comedy, Who's Harry Crumb? Um, so I, I love that. And also, what was the, the uh, in the first trailer? It was uh, Imagine Me, uh, Happy Together. Oh, Happy yeah, Together. Yeah. So, you know, I really like what I've seen from the marketing on this film. I also like the visual style of it. It's super mm-hmm. colorful. It pops. It kind of felt like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse a little bit. I could see that kind of connection. I think the last trailer we'd even compared it to the, the way the colors pop in something like a Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, it looks like they're in the Blade Runner mythos to yeah. me. Like the the which, world of, which is a I bold. like that touch. You guys know I'm obsessed with box office, and I have to bring it up for this one, because if I had to make one crazy, bold prediction for 2019 in terms of something absolutely crushing it at the box office... It's this one right here to the point that and I saw a couple people bring this up on Twitter and I kind of agree with them that as far as the amount of money it could make opening weekend, this could be this year's Deadpool 2, which would basically put it at something like 120 million opening weekend. Is that crazy? I see this going 800 million international by the end of its run. I see it hitting, I think, like 150 opening weekend. I think this is going to do huge numbers domestically and overseas, and that that's such a thing right now. Like Alita doing well overseas might get at the sequel, but we're still holding on to it domestically. Pokemon mm-hmm. is so worldwide, and Ryan Reynolds is so worldwide. There's so many pieces of the puzzle that just encapsulate the entire planet, and who doesn't love Pokemon? Yeah. So I, I think it's going to maybe hit that billion mark, but at least 800. It's oh, going to wow. do. It's going to kill it. I like that you're kind of encouraging my theories over here, and even taking it a step further. I'll go a little bit lower, uh, around 600, 650 worldwide. Um, still an impressive haul. I don't think you're, you're, you're crazy with the 120 million opening weekend uh, domestic. That's totally within the realm of possibility. Right. I, I got to see. Do you know what it's up against by chance? Um, I don't know what it's directly May? up May against. 10th, the thing that I had targeted was Avengers Endgame, just to see mm-hmm. you know how far into its run that one's going to be. And I believe that's, that's something like two it weeks. It has no competition that week. The following week is John. John Wick 3, which is a totally different audience. Um, and then the week after that is Aladdin, which I don't think is going to do that well. Yeah. So I think Pikachu could have legs. Um, real I'm legs. starting to lose a lot of faith. Not just starting. I have been losing faith in Aladdin. So I think this one's going to be a big one. Two weeks of endgame running things, and then it takes off. It's mostly not going to face off in anything. And then it's got the worldwide releases happening very quickly thereafter, not like months thereafter. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be great. All right. Well, we will wait and see. May 10th for that one. Last story today is about a movie that came out this year that I really liked. So after Escape Room opened in early January and wound up amassing close to $119 million at the worldwide box office, and that's on a $9 million production, 
production budget. The studio is moving forward on development of a sequel. And according to Deadline, the studio did set this one already. It's got an April 17th, 2020 release date. And Adam Robitel is returning to direct, which really excites me. Jeff, I don't know if you loved Escape Room as much as I did, but is does this news excite did you? Love you? it. I thought we were on the same page with that movie. I I loved it except for the ending. I I liked it overall. Yeah, the ending kind of fell flat for me. It'll be interesting to see whether they bring back Taylor Russell and Logan Miller. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh, uh, no. Oh, no. I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they are going to bring back the, the surviving members of the cast or sort of start anew uh, with, with a new crop. What do, you, I mean, what do you think that they should do? Well, see, this is where my problem in the movie lies is, and when I say I love this movie, I know many interpret that as saying, like, oh, it's a masterpiece on the same level of all these other, you know, Oscar winners or whatnot. That's not what I mean. This, this movie is basically... M- it's almost made to suit my taste in horror movie, like the pick 'em off slasher type, but not mm-hmm. a slasher. We have and really creative kills here. and stuff like that. And I thought it was very well shot, which is why I get so excited when I say Robitel is returning to direct. But as far as continuing a story with the characters that we saw in this first movie, I hope the answer to that is a no, because the movie's strongest suit is using something that many people go and participate in all the time. It's escape rooms, taking this idea of something that is part of everyday life and recreation at this point and turning it on its head by basically making it deadly. That was where the movie excelled. Where it lost its footing is what it tries to accomplish at the end and that to me would tee up a direct sequel rather than maybe something that would fit in the in the anthology format. I, having not seen this movie, I'll fully own. From just seeing all of the marketing and loving the cast, I would love to see. And once again, loving the cast, I would love to see do the Final Destination approach. I would love to see this movie take place in a universe where certain things work and you can like build on. Having not seen it, the anthologiness of Final Destination is hmm. certain characters tie into it, but they don't necessarily have to. The move that that series evolves and the rules are set, but you don't have to have seen a prior one to instantly get what's going on. And from what I've gathered from Escape Room, you could do something very similar to that and have a series take place with the rules established in the well, there's, there's, it's like there's multiple rooms you kind of learn that this is uh, there's I don't know how much to spoil about this movie that's the thing um, but I, I think that maybe you bring back the cast maybe towards the end of the movie uh, what do they do with Saw because that's what it sort of reminds me of well see it's the the connect alright so the connectivity in Saw is probably one of my least favorite parts of the franchise mm-hmm. except for Jigsaw Jigsaw is what unites that entire franchise but then they have this, this whole evolving narrative with the detectives that yeah, what was the twist at the end of Saw sucked, 2 didn't it like it completely sucked the life out of the franchise for me though the, the beauty of Saw was this idea of you know what would you do to be able to continue to live your life especially when you've made certain mistakes that now somebody is holding you accountable for in this crazy situation the other thing you could do is kill off those survivors early on like you know <laughs> and then just have a, a movie with a new cast well, that's the brutal approach to it. Maybe that's what they do. I think do. it needs a new cast. Who knows? But we're going to probably find out pretty soon, given the fact that this movie already has a 2020 release date. And that's a sign of confidence right there. Right there, Because I think the end of April could be a hot... I don't know what is uh, is already in that slot, but it could be a hot time for a horror well, they're, movie. They're fast-dragging because it's like with Happy Death Day. You, you don't want to like wait. It's not like the <laughs> well, franchise ins- is, is so strong. It didn't serve Happy Death Day all that well. I guess not, but it's like you got to strike while the iron's hot and while, while the franchise is still like in fans' minds. No, it's 14 months true. is so soon. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it, it 
it's going to be a very quick turnaround. And when you look at certain uh, certain rooms that they had an escape room, there's there's a significant amount that needs to happen in order to to fully realize that both with what you shoot in camera and also the visual effects necessary if they go that route, at least. So. We will see as this project comes together. Before I share with you all the wonderful things we have coming to Collider Video and beyond, I want to remind you, we're taking your live Twitter questions at the very end of the show, so send them in right now. Tomorrow, though, on Collider, of course, as always, we have Collider Live. We have a brand new episode of Collider Movie Talk at 4 p.m. PT. Also, check out the Collider.com podcast. So it's always Matt Goldberg and Adam Chitwood. And this week on the episode, they're bringing in Allison Keene, who is just covering the TCAs. So she tells them all about her experience there, all these upcoming shows that you might want to know about. So check that out. It's on our podcast network, specifically on the Collider factory feed. And there's also a little show called Heroes that I think is due tomorrow. So, uh, Coy, what's on the lineup? So, we are going to be talking about some of the things we talked about today with the Rotten Tomatoes madness, but also Zach Levi released a two-minute video saying, hey, guys, stop it. What are you doing? Attacking Shazam without having... I mean, attacking Captain Marvel for the sake of Shazam. That's not what fandom's about. So we're going to be talking about how Zach Levi is definitely one of us. He is a true sweaty. I love that he came out publicly saying, like, nerddom doesn't have to be divisive. Everyone can enjoy everything. Going to dive into that. Going to talk about the slate, because I love that we're not getting a giant slate of things. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Oscars, because three Oscars for Black Panther is the first Marvel Oscar, and then the second and the third. And, of course, Spider-Verse getting the best animated Academy Award. So tomorrow's going to be a big show. I'm very excited to talk about it. Hannah Beekler was one of my favorite speeches of the entire night. I was super happy for her. All right. It is time for Twitter questions. And I'm actually going to go back to one that we got yesterday because, Jeff, I am genuinely interested in hearing your thoughts on this. Someone had asked us what we thought about the preferential ballot system for Best Picture, whether or not, as far as the win goes, they should have that. It's funny. I'm going back with, with uh, back and forth with David Pullen on Twitter all day about this. I like the preferential ballot. You know, David was sort of arguing that pe- that even the voters don't understand the preferential ballot, which I I don't know what is so confusing about it because all the Academy does is asks voters to rank their favorite movies. That's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. L- leave the, the the math or whatever up to uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers. You know, D- Pullen was sort of being like, well, you know, what what weight does your number three choice have? Like, can you explain that in 25 words or less? And it's like, if you're voting for two movies in the top two slots that just have no chance, then your number three is going to come into play. But like, I, I, otherwise, it doesn't really matter. I don't know. Like, I just don't. I don't want a popular vote because then all you need is like twenty percent of the academy, and you win. You know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if there's if there are eight nominees in a given year, then all you need, and so each movie is sixteen percent, right? So if you get seventeen percent. You win. Mm. That it shouldn't be more. It should be a consensus, which that is the whole point of the preferential ballot. No, that's a that's a fair point. I think I was uh, yesterday. I was calling for it to be removed. It seems like a reasonable way to figure out the nominees, and mm-hmm. then when it comes to best picture, it it turns it into too much of a like a popularity contest. But no, it doesn't. But it's then the again, opposite, the way the way you just described it actually does make a lot of sense because I believe the way it works is ultimately the winner has. To, it's the winner is the first one that hits fifty point one percent of the academy. Exactly, and 
when you explain it that way, it's about versus- the most liked film, not the most popular film. So you know, p- passion matters, but they also want uh, a movie that the that the Academy at large can get behind and, and say, you know, we, we or at least ha- more than half the Academy can say we liked this movie rather than, you know, it's on sixty percent uh, of the Academy's. No- it's in the number eight slot. And so something else, I don't know what the hell I'm saying anymore. Well, I mean, I've lost it. Well, the, the point is the preferential ballot system makes a whole lot of sense. And you could find so many handy breakdowns that show you, because I would say if you want to understand it, the best way to do it is to see someone who explains it visually. That makes it a lot easier to understand. But when it comes to the math, there really is no way to, let's say, explain what your three spot is is worth in 25 words or less because it changes from year to year depending on how many movies across the board on the first round of counting get the number one spot. So if you have 75 percent of the academy that hated a movie and has it number eight on its ballot, it could still win Best Picture because the other 25 percent had it at number one. I don't think it should work like that. Mm. I, I think I'm fine with movies that are number two and number three on the majority of ballots taking home Best Picture, and in, whether that was the case with Green Book or not, who's to say? That's the thing until the academy sort of uh changes exposes its voting totals which i think that it needs to i know it's not a popular thing but look what happened this is honestly how i think about it look at the nba all-stars okay Uh, they do a draft now it's not like a fan voting or anything they now have captains and the captains uh you know draft players and the first year they didn't televise it but now they're televising it and i'm sorry if you know the the 14th guy picked feels like he's not as big of an all-star as the third guy picked but it's like you're still an all-star you know (laughs) what i mean so uh, to me i i know that they they don't want to like embarrass movies by saying well this you know this movie only got one number one vote but you're still a best picture nominee to me, that's preferable. To be to, uh, having the stakes be variable and having more people have more input, having each vote matter differently, having something like Green Book win and having a lot of people in the film space going what? And that seems to happen every few years. There's that in one... what film space though? Uh, film like, like film, like yeah, like the the, the modern equivalent. We're of not in the at... academy though. That's what I don't. It's like it's not up to us in the academy. Fifty percent of the uh, of the academy liked Green Book. Who are we to argue? But that's what I'm saying is I think there should be a different system so it reflects the people. More. I, I would love for the people oh, to have God. more of a. Oh no! Not, oh God, not, boy, not, boy, no. not, not the masses, the people. I, I want there. Who to be are a, the people? Though? Like, Who like, determines that? I think there should be a broader swath of just the just the academy. Maybe expanding the academy's numbers. Maybe expanding like to younger. Maybe expanding. Well, it that's, to that's what they're that doing. Is, that, that is, is what they're, they're doing. doing. But yeah. this is like year two of that evolution. So as it evolves, I'd like to see there be more expansion into the way the system is booked. Because one thing's evolving, so too should the way it's judged. That that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying open it up and let's have a popular <laughs> vote. God no. <laughs> that's yeah, I'm not mind. saying like suddenly Detective yeah, Pikachu for Best Picture. That's not what I'm saying. Though Blind Spotting should have gotten Best Picture nom. But I think that the <laughs> broader swath of movies getting an opportunity is for the best, and a new system would allow for that. <laughs> Dangerously, he says on the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's going to be an interesting thing to see evolve because there's no doubt that now that the ceremony is over, the Green Book conversation continues. The conversation about the ratings and what actually influenced the higher ratings this year is going to continue more and more, and we're probably going to hear about a whole bunch of changes for next year I mean, now. again, they are trying to go younger and more diverse, and they did add a whole lot of members. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize is that out of that 1,000 members that joined this year, the majority of them were white males. You know, that's just... 
the majority of people who work in the industry. Again, the academy, it's not on the academy. It's on the industry to make these changes. It's on the industry and studio heads about what movies they greenlight, about agents and which actors they send into the room to audition. It's not The academy just votes on what they have to work with. Mm-hmm. And this year's crop was not good. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's a it's a fair point. If certain individuals aren't getting the opportunities to begin with, then then who would expect them to ultimately make it to either the academy, the academy stage or even in the academy at all? So it kind of goes uh, yeah, the, the ground up, the top down. I don't know which way <laughs> it is, a but metaphor. you know what I'm getting at there. <laughs> um, now for a brand new Twitter question. This one comes from good old Chris Woodburn, and he wants to know, with it being confirmed that we're getting a Dark Phoenix trailer tomorrow, do you have any hope that the film will be good given all the negative buzz about the test screenings? <sighs> <laughs> okay, you guys know I am a, a ray of positivity. You know that I try to be the most positive, especially about comic book culture. But the idea that the X-Men mythology in the film... X-Men started so much of this. Like, Blade kicked off the Marvel Universe, in my opinion. And then X-Men brought it mainstream. And X-Men, had, we have so much to thank for the X-Men. Brian Singer made some great mutant movies. I have yet to see a great X-Men movie, but I've gotten close. I loved Days of Future Past. I love Logan. I love X-Men First Class. But to end this franchise with a movie they've tried to make three times seems very weird. Like, X-Men 2 set it up to tee it off. X-Men 3 happened. And, like, we're getting this movie that feels like it's the movie that no one asked for. I feel like this is the movie that no one really wanted comic fans or movie fans i feel like half the cast has been like done with it for a lot longer than the people have they keep making money but i haven't seen a lot of passion from the production side the actor side or the marketing side so i'm really worried about it because if if they aren't excited from the people that made it how are the people supposed to feel excited especially on the third swing so i'm i'm just really worried because i wanted x-men to have a beautiful swan song and i don't feel like phoenix is that pun intended i do get the feeling like most involved have checked out at the <laughs> this point i mean even when you just look at that new poster that look it looks like it was slapped together and that's coming from someone who saw some dark phoenix phoenix footage at new york comic-con and you know i didn't go in with sky high expectations but i was pleasantly surprised i thought what i saw which is just a small sequence of a much larger movie i thought it was pretty good so that kind of gave me a little bit of hope but given the conversation or i guess the lack thereof and the 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 major uh black hole of enthusiasm it's almost like the air has just been sucked out of the room as far as dark phoenix goes and i'm feeling it it's hard to say because simon kinberg has never directed a movie before which is crazy um so the jury's still technically out i would like to have seen that that footage that you have seen uh if i had you know gunned in my head no i don't have much faith that it's going to be any good i I think that this storyline is played out this cast is played out i don't care about the past incarnations of dark phoenix or how many swings that they've had at this story just on its own merits i'm not particularly interested in have more i do have more faith in new mutants yeah i i really would like at least doing something different on the big screen preferably what's interesting to me is that that you're on the outside of the comic world i'm on the inside of the comic world Mm -hmm. looking at the same movie and my problems are similar to your problems but i feel like yours plus the comic problems so that's why i mentioned the prior incarnations is is phoenix is supposed to be a long saga and she we met sophie turner in the last movie and then she already had flames and stuff happening like the build-up hasn't been there and when those moments happen they didn't have gravitas to them we haven't really known scott gene long enough 
for the moments to have impact. And that's from inside. And then if the outside is already bored and out of it, then what chance does it have? And I'd love to see a first-time director get a giant hit. I would love if Simon Kinberg is just this master director and gets a $250 million movie and just is like, I am your god now. Please. But there hasn't been anything to show me that yet, so I can't wait to be pleasantly surprised. But if it's not the case, then I'm excited for the, the reboot when it inevitably comes to Marvel. Alright, you guys know I'm not going to end this show on, uh, <laughs> on a low note. So here's a question you're going to love, Jeff, slash not really. This one comes from Louis E. De La Pena, and he's asking if you could choose any movie character as your own Pokemon, which one would it be? <laughs> I feel like I would probably... Gizmo? Oh, okay. Ooh, does it... I like that. That's... He seems very I kind of like that, too. Yeah, I was I mean... going to go for Wally. Okay. Uh, mine's weird now. I was going to go Tyler Durden. <laughs> I feel like throwing a Pokeball and having someone tell me all the worst things I can do to make my life better would be awesome. I'm like, just have, like, a devil on my shoulder. That doesn't surprise me, because that's your favorite movie. Yeah, like, I just the idea of, of, like, Tyler Durden just being a bad influence at my disposal seems rad. I feel like because of my, like, pet-like uh, comment from earlier, I immediately went for other movie characters that have that same quality. Yeah, the pet-like quality. Oh, that's yeah, a yeah. great question. Other Pokemon. Yeah, plus, uh, plus Wally would just, like, clean up after me. and Or, or you can go Mo from Wally, too. It's yeah. just like a, a little dustbuster, a little sweeper that follows me. Ooh, wow. I'm also toothless. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, toothless. I'd love to have a dragon, I and like I'd love vibe. to just have that like warm positivity and brotherhood. And it, it number one, the speaking congrats out of training dragon, but like in a pokeball, so it's convenient. And my number two, I guess, <laughs> along the lines of Wally. Yeah, I'd like to see Johnny Five short circuit as, right. as a Pokemon. Good, I good choice. I don't really know what a Pokemon is or. What qualities it would have? Well, I don't think we've really. We haven't really leaned. Into I mean, that. has anybody ever set the rules out there? It's like if we're playing by the rules of this question, it had to be like a human character or a pet-like character. I don't know. We can do whatever we want. They evolve in the game. They change all the time. And they get more powers and stuff. So we, we can make the rules here in Collider Movie Talk. What, what would uh, Tyler Durden evolve into? Uh, I think I think what would be interesting was he would start as Jack. He'd start as the narrator, and his okay. second evolution would be Tyler Durden. I am Jack's Pokemon. Yes, exactly. I am my complete lack of surprise. He's just like this dejected Pokemon and then he evolves into Tyler Durden and then his third evolution is like full deity. Okay. I would like to see like a, a Buddhist figure of pure omnipotence be the third evolution of Tyler Durden. I could go from uh, Wally's cockroach buddy. That's the first iteration then to a Wally but I don't know what would be beyond that. That's I feel tricky. like I'm thinking about this too much I now. Think- <laughs> He has this simple question, like, and what would their power set be? What would they say? This is what happens when you got a little creativity swirling in your brain and you want to play the game. All right, that's it. We all have our Pokemon. <laughs> we, all have our, we all have our Pokemon buddies now. Now we can go off and I don't know what we do with them, but they're here. Thank you so much for these wonderful questions. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. As always, I must thank my panelists, Koi, Jeff. Thank you for being here today. Adam in the booth rocks as always, and so do all of you out there. Please like and share this episode of Collider Movie Talk and tell everybody you know about us in podcast form as well. The Collider Movie Talk feed, Podcast One, iTunes, you name it. Go download it and take it with you. And we will see you tomorrow, 4 p.m. PT, for a brand new episode of Movie Talk. Napa This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. 
It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game. So that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 